It's called the Packin method because it's the method of the madness that I started raising my large breed active hunting dogs and wanted to be sure that other dogs were being cared for in the same way and offered an, a different opportunity and outlet to exercise both their brain and their heart and their body. Hey there, I'm Janie Budnick, the Pet Biz Guru and founder of the Pet Biz Hive and Pet Biz MBA. The Pet Biz Hive podcast is a space for pet business owners to still get all those things done while getting some tips and business education in their ears. So pop in an earbud and get ready for the buzz. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Pet Biz Hive. I am on an episode of my Revenue Streams series. Now, this has been something that a lot of you have enjoyed listening to other pet business owners who have their core business that they first started, and then they decided to branch off into another area of the pet industry. Today, I have with me Nicole Packin. She is the CEO of Miami Pet Concierge and had been doing that business for quite a period of time. And then she moved and decided to start something new. So welcome, Nicole. Introduce yourself and tell us what you did. Hello, um, my name is Nicole Packin, and I am the CEO of Miami Pet Concierge, a pet care business in Miami, Florida that just celebrated 16 years. And my husband and I moved in the end of 2021 to Dallas, Texas, where I started the Packin Method, which is a mobile dog gym. That is incredible. Number one, celebrate 16 years. Whoop, that yeah. is pretty incredible. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's that's huge. The statistics on lasting even five years in business and that five years in a regular business versus starting one in the pet industry you know i think we really have it a little bit more challenging than most other entrepreneurs because we've got a really significant uphill whenever we are operating in that first five years don't we absolutely i can remember when i started it i had um friends of the family say to me oh is this going to be your hobby are you going to do this full time let's see if you get past the first year and then the first year was good and then after five years i was like any respect it took about 10 years where they realized okay this is legit but yeah. i think we do have an uphill battle because there's a lot of us out there but there's plenty of pets to go around so mm -hmm. i think i think it's good yeah, it's funny you say that. A lot of people have that same story about people just not thinking they're doing something legit. Yeah, I know. You know, I worked uh, as a vet tech, and you know, I kept getting that thing. So, when are you going to go back and get another job at another vet clinic? I'm like, um, I'm not. And then there's oh, that yeah. point where you're like, I make more than a vet now. So, <laughs> why would yeah, I? I mean, many times I we would be asked whether it was my staff or myself, like, when are you going to get a real job? Or, you know, do you do this for fun? And I'm like, no, no, no. I actually, I, I, I pay my bills with this job and I actually pay salaries with this job and yeah. I pay, you know, workman's compensation for this job. So, uh -huh. um, it's, it's not a job. It's, it's my career. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah, yeah it's, it's who I am. It's it's what I'm defined by. Well. <laughs> Even 26 years into this, having a full management team and having 40 employees, I still find myself justifying what I do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like, oh, you know, I have kids. So 
oh, we'll start a new sport or something like that. And I'll meet a new parent and they're, you know, like, what do you do? And I just feel like I have to justify. Absolutely. Oh, yes. You know, I do dog walking and pet sitting. You kind of see that look on their face. And then I feel like I need to say all of that. Why? Why do we feel like we need to do that? I know I'm chasing squirrels here, but it's just right there in front of us. Too with the new job, um, the new, the new business where they're like, you do what? And I'm like, but wait a second, just wait a second. I've gone to school for this and I've prepared for this, uh-huh. but yeah, you do. You feel like you have to justify that. I, we're not just a dog walker or a pet sitter. Like we actually own the business, but I immediately feel the judgment coming when they're like, Oh, what do you do? Well, I'm, and then I kind of get nervous. I think over time, I'm kind of letting go of that, but I yeah. absolutely understand what you're talking about. Oh my gosh. You kind of just smile and you're like, oh, dog walker and a pet sitter. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, I, and I'm proud of it. I'm not embarrassed by it. I just don't want the judgment like, oh, I know. She, she must not be very smart. And yeah, sometimes Watch I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes I, I default to, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur in the pet industry. Yeah. And I just leave it at that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on if they're a potential client or not. I have something much better that I say if they're a potential, right? <laughs> I do. I I completely feel that. I, I do. <laughs> okay. Now that we've had that discussion, we'll get back yeah. to what we're talking about. So, so you know, you had the 16 years uh, with Miami Pet Concierge, and now you still run that remotely, correct? I do. I do. Yeah. Fill in the listeners, like all about that. What does the team look like there after 16 years? So I started Miami back in 2007 by myself and, um, and ended up hiring my first independent contractor within six months. I would say probably five years into it, I moved from independent contractors to employees. And currently I think we're at 24 with a couple hires um about to happen but i had always prepared miami for me to leave my husband and i had always we we knew we wanted to move we were originally thinking colorado but we knew we wanted to leave miami i had been born there i was raised there and we were ready to to leave so um the couple of years before i left i started preparing where um i became more of a we than an i um, I started, you know, referring out the clients that only wanted me to some of my senior sitters. Um, I, I really worked on my policies, my procedures, my manuals, because they were there, but they weren't perfect. Um, and most importantly, I built a team where I was able to take two of my team members and split my role in half. And that's how I work it. So instead of me being the HR person, the the marketing, the publicity, the dog walker, the you know the CEO, the payroll person, I split my role in Miami into two. So I have a director of operations and I have a director of customer service. So one of them is responsible for day-to-day operations, scheduling the clients, dealing with the scheduling of the staff. She helps with HR. She does all of the things day-to-day. And then the other person is what we call the good cop. So she deals with all of the <laughs> clients, onboarding them, getting them into the system, you know, getting them registered, making sure the new client consultations are, are, are scheduled, making sure that the staff knows what's happening at that house. And then together they overlap in some things. 
And then as the third party, I've kind of stepped out of day to day and I kind of just watch from afar. I see every text message, every email, every phone call that comes through, every Slack message to staff, and I jump in when needed. Um, you know, they ask me questions on the daily if needed, but I've been actually asked to step back out of the business because they are a well-oiled machine. And if I jump in sometimes, I'm like, no, 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 you don't know what you're doing anymore. Um, so that's how I manage it. The reason why I did that as well is, God forbid, one of them get injured, get sick or move. I didn't want to be stuck on the ground with nobody there. So it's great because when one goes on vacation, the other one ch ch you know, comes in and, and, and does both jobs with me um, interjecting as well. So always a team of three, me being on the sidelines most of the time. That is a pretty incredible setup. You know, several things there. <laughs> Number one, you started talking all with the transition from I to we and everything you did there. And uh, not too long ago, I did episode 102, which was about all of that exact information. So, uh, you know, should have had you uh, interviewed on that one because that's exactly what I was talking about is that transition and how important it is. I mean, not everybody has the plan of, I am going to move someday and run this remotely, but uh, you know, you had the opportunity to have enough time to get the runway going for that, making all those. COVID changes. helped. Okay. COVID helped. I mean, yeah. and that's where most of this happened was, you know, we, I had, um, when the day we shut down, we, we, we closed down almost entirely because of where we live. The city wouldn't let us, you know, perform work except for a certain a number of clients. So there were only two of us and I had to let go 22 people. Hmm. So I had a lot of extra time and, you know, where other people were doing their, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. I just was cramming out my manuals again and really, really working on the back end of the business, knowing that within a year or two, we were likely going to move. Don't get me wrong. I was scared out of my mind. I second guessed it. I procrastinated. I cried a lot about it because I was so fearful that my baby and well-oiled machine was going to be destroyed if I wasn't there. The reality is, I'm not going to say they don't need me, but it's a testament to the preparation that it runs really well without me there day to day. Um, and I think it's a testament to my two managers. They're just, they, they love it. They get it. They know it. Um, and I didn't have to micromanage. And I think as a business owner, we tend to micromanage because it's our baby. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things I learned was delegate, delegate, delegate. You can't do it all. So that's what I did because there are certain things they do just way better than I do. I'm not good at conflict. I have a manager that is just straight faced when she needs to deal with something that's not great. Um, I'm, I'd rather be the person that does the celebrations instead of dealing with the negativities. So I'm really bad at that. So, um, <laughs> just a lot of prep work, but it's been yeah. successful. We're almost two years in. That's so. incredible. Well, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's the lead by example too. So you have to give yourself the biggest share of that credit because you were enough of a leader to know what needed to be done to recognize the type of people that needed to be elevated to those management positions and to nurture them 
and support them and give them the autonomy to make those decisions. That can be one of the biggest things is, you know, our need to feel like we still have to control it, but you clearly empowered them to take that position and take ownership of that position. So please take credit for that. (laughs) I, you know, I, um, I, I agree in that. Um, and I think that they empowered me more in some senses that, hey, listen, we've got this. You've trained us. We know it. We've got it. And knowing that, you know, the, the first six months we, we moved here, I didn't, I took off. I did not work on anything. I wanted to get adjusted. I had been working forever and I monitored it. I wrote some blogs. I kind of just took some time off. And for me to hear them say, like, listen, you don't you don't have to be on every everything anymore. We've got this. It it made me in the beginning feel almost sad, but then I realized no 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 this is what you set it set this up for, mm-hmm. and um, it's it, it was definitely a personal, uh, you know, almost like what I would imagine a parent would go through when their kid goes to college. You know, yes. it's like I'm an empty nester in Dallas, but you know, I go back every quarter. I see my, I see my staff, we hang out. Um, I'm, I see their texts all the time. I, I, you know, I, I talk to them regularly. Um, and I am involved. It's just, it's just different now. Um, I'm the fun boss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the fun boss. You literally um, are the good cop. (laughs) I am the good cop, but I have to say it's, it's, obviously I miss the hands-on with my, with my clients, pets in Miami, but it's made owning this business become more enjoyable for me because like so many of us, I was fried. And there were many times where I was like going to, you know, just throw it to the curb. I was done. I was, I was like, I'm done with this. And so now being able to take everything that I've worked on professionally to build my second business and actually be able to do the things that I really love while still running my first baby. It's really cool. Like I, I, I'm learning to celebrate it. I don't think I necessarily realized like how cool that is. So now I'm celebrating it. Yeah. Most people don't get that opportunity. So that's, Mm -mm. that's pretty incredible. So not only moving halfway across the country, but starting a completely different service line with a mobile dog gym. So fill us in on where that idea really came from. When did you start thinking about it? Still in Miami? Was this something you planned from the beginning when you moved to Dallas? No. So I, I've i always been interested in physical fitness and rehabilitation for dogs. And my background is I have a master's certification in behavior and massage therapy, water therapy, and physical fitness training. And in Miami, unfortunately, I think that Miami is a little bit behind in, 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 in animal care in some respects, whereas the West Coast is way forward thinking in, in some of this stuff. But um, when I was in Miami, I knew that I wanted to branch off. I did massage therapy there. Um, I did have treadmills in my home and I would run some clients and my own dogs. And the idea was to go mobile there, but COVID hit. And we were, we were like, okay, do we open the mobile here? Do we stay? Are we moving? What are we going to do? 
And at that time with COVID, anybody that wanted to go mobile in any business realized there were no vans to be had. You just couldn't mm. find any anything. Hadn't so, thought about that, um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, if you wanted to buy a brand new van, it was gonna take two years on a wait list. Right. So um, we actually had purchased two really cool trailers and we were going to do it in Miami with trailers, but then we were moving. So I thought, all right, well, I'm just going to do this in Dallas. I can do it here. I'll do it there. I'll just take it with me. Um, but then we realized the trailers wouldn't work here. So we got rid of them. So, but to the, to the question was, I always knew I wanted to do physical fitness and rehab, but I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to do it, whether I wanted to do brick and mortar or mobile. And I knew eventually I'll have a brick and mortar, but if I was moving to a new city, I didn't want to invest in a storefront without having a reputation here, relationships here, knowing the vets here, knowing the territory here. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to go mobile. Is it a new idea? No, there are people doing this around the country. Um, I just wanted to go about it a little bit differently from the fitness perspective, snout to tail, really healthy perspective, no forcing, and more like a, you know, a, a rehabilitative gym perspective than um, just throwing dogs on treadmills and letting them run free. I so, hope that answered your question. Yeah. I mean, more of a cooperative care kind of situation too. Right. So I, I mean, I, I deal, you know, I deal with dogs that are regular house dogs that just need exercise versus dogs that are in palliative care. So it depends on on what the need is. You know, I have clients, dogs that are in wheelchairs, you know, recovering from IVDD or dogs that are morbidly obese to my dogs that are perfectly fine that just are hyperactive. <laughs> so I wanted it to be an, a, a, yeah, cooperative care um, gym, but for all dogs, not just the healthy athletes and the working, working crew. Mm -hmm. So when did you actually start with, when did you open your doors, open your van, however? Open my van. So, <laughs> van. Um, so it was interesting because we were looking for vans, looking for vans, couldn't find one. And then in June of last year, Monday morning, I'm Googling vans and I found one and it was three miles from my father-in-law in Jersey. Oh, and it was a year old. And I was, and I called him and I'm like, pop, you got to go over there. So I got the van in June and understand any used vans, they were, they were marketing them, you know, thousands of dollars over. So this was like perfect. So got the van in June, um, wrapped it and I opened my doors August 18th. So it's almost a year. And, um, it's been, when I say successful, it's been successful from day one, knowing that I have, another income coming in. If I didn't have Miami Pet Concierge, um, I think it would have been more difficult because you're, you're not instantly, the doors aren't opening and the phones aren't ringing instantly. It's uh -huh. taking me a good 11 to 12 months now where I'm finally getting traction, where the phones are ringing and I'm busy and I'm just hired my first staff member here and I'm probably going to have a second van soon. Oh, that is incredible to hear. Yeah. So, so it's going the, really well. Yeah. So the staff member, is this someone who is an assistant with you? Someone that you're training to do what you're doing? My idea um, is that I'd like to be able to have a couple days off, not running dogs seven days a week. Um, and I, 
uh, part-time, I intern with a rehabilitation veterinarian here. And the goal is to be able to provide some of her rehabilitation work on dogs after she's worked with them. And she's a chiropractor and does chiropractor, chiropractic and um, other forms of rehab. So the idea would be to work with her directly and possibly provide runs in her facility, um, but also just to give myself a couple days off. So the idea is that I'm going to hire him to run the van a couple days a week. Um, he's a great guy, has been working at a local store here that's a very popular uh, dog-centric store for like 10 mm -hmm. years, and he wants okay. next to work. So yeah, knowledgeable guy, young guy, wants to work a couple weeks. So I'm going to train him up and get him going. There you go. Well, we all know you know how to train people, right? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, different. Yeah. Experience. I mean, that's his perfect. role. His role will be the the basic runs. He's not going to do anything that requires any type of rehabilitation. So, but that will help me to be able to give him some runs off my off my schedule. Well, it's very yeah. similar to, you know, kind of like how trainers get started with their expansion also, you know, yeah. you, you give the the basics, the puppy classes, the exactly the the general adult classes and, you know, <laughs> keep, the, keep the more accelerated kids that need a little extra help. A little right? extra help. A little extra yeah. help. So I, what is what has been like your your biggest source? I know you said, you know, a little bit of a slow build, um, you know, busy enough now to be looking at going ahead and, and rolling over into another vehicle and hiring. So where have been your biggest sources? Because I'm sure it's different from, you know, since you were in the dog walking and pet sitting in the home industry, mm -hmm. where are you seeing the the majority of sources coming from? You cut out those. The Sorry, what? the majority of uh, clients coming from. I, you know, this veterinarian. Um, Is it relationships with veterinarians? You know, I, when I first started, I started here with knowing no one. I mean, literally I knew, I knew my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law and my two nephews. I knew nobody else. So in the beginning, it was grassroots of knocking on doors and introducing myself and getting it slammed a lot of times mm -hmm. um, and having two vets in town that really kind of took me under their wing and believed in me and um, advertised me to a couple of their clients. And a couple of those clients have been with me from day one. But what's interesting is the traction that I'm seeing now is um, my efforts in social media for sure on my TikTok and my Instagram and my Facebook. Um, it's, it's, it's funny to me because in Miami, the social media platforms have really not brought us a lot of traction. Um, Interesting. Most of it's word of mouth and relationships, but here I track it and it's, oh, I, I saw you on Google or, oh, I saw you on Instagram. So that's been excellent. Um, I pounded the pavement for a while doing events and I'm starting to see some of those people now come to me after yeah. a few months. You know how that goes. Someone asks for yes. a card to hear from them. Um, and I think it's just been education, education, education and, and, and word of mouth. Um, it's a, it's a different beast here. Um, the clientele is different. Um, animal care here is different, but, um, it definitely took some time and I was used to instant gratification in Miami. So I'm not patient, but, um, we're, I'm starting to see a nice influx of clientele coming in. 
and um, from all over the city, which is really cool. That's cool. So you said you have three social media, you do Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I do Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. TikTok, I'm a little bit slower at. Most of my stuff is, is Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I do reels on the dog so you can see them running um, and people really like it. Um, so, and, and what I'm trying to do is not just throw dogs on there and film them. I'm, I would really like to educate the public that this is a great form of exercise. It doesn't take away from dog walks. It doesn't take away from dog parks. I kind of sell it like dog walks or your sensory experience. You go out, you mark, you pee, you poop, you see squirrels, you look around, all that. Enrichment. And yeah. Then, yeah. Enrichment. Right. And then dog parks are your socialization or like my dog, she likes to circle the perimeter, but this is a 30 minute non-embraceful, non-impactful exercise that um, helps mental and physical, you know, well-beings of dogs, but it, they don't learn it by throwing them on the machine it takes them some time so there's a behavior element to it there's a body language element to it there's a safety risk element to it and um that's what i'm trying to trying to i guess educate the public on because there's a instant gratification that people want from what they're seeing on instagram and TikTok, which is a little frightening oh, okay yeah i can imagine um Treadmills scare me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, you know, you can really hurt yourself. There, there yeah. was a lady who who hurt herself very badly on a treadmill recently at a gym here. She was mm. just running and slipped and fell. So imagine, you know, dog, you're asking a dog to get into a van. It smells like dogs with a person they don't know to get on a machine to do something not normal on something that's not normal. It's there's a process. So that's been, I think, the biggest um, difficulty is educating the client that it takes time. I have dogs that it's taken four times just to get in the van and on the machine versus other dogs that are like, yes, let's do this, you know, immediately. Yeah. So. Okay. And so you're like trying to educate actually on your social media. What what are the handles? I mean, I'll drop them in the show yeah, notes, of course, course for everyone um, listening. The packing method for Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Oh, easy enough there, and right? Threads. Now that Threads is new, but I. Oh, I, did you hop on there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I looked at it. I've checked it out, but am I good at it? No, I just. Yeah. I'm, there's only so many things I can do in a day. Yeah, to <laughs> me, it's just it feels like more noise. Yeah, um, I think I was never away. a Twitter. -er -er -er. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I think Threads will go the way of Clubhouse, honestly. So <laughs> it's like, ooh, it's the new thing, and uh, yeah. I'm just gonna go back to what I did before. Exactly. Definitely. So, um, you know, with this entire like start of this, um, to to actually get started with it, it. I mean, you've got a van. You've got treadmills. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. other kind of things do you have to prepare yourself for? I mean, besides the education, that again is a huge part of it to make sure you're doing it right. You're doing it for the dogs. You're doing it safely. Um, but I mean, other than that, for for people who have not seen your your van, um, I was lucky enough to get to see it at the Texas Pet Sitters Association conference um, last fall, which was incredible. I didn't realize it was like brand new, brand new at that time. <laughs> hadn't even really had it that long. Yeah, it was pretty new. 
and it's yeah. been rewrapped since. Oh, has um, it? Yeah, the the first wrap was a disaster, so they had to rewrap it. Um, <laughs> it was like peeling off on the freeway. I heard like, I'm like, oh, oh not good. Falling <laughs> off. So yeah, it looks better now. Um, you know, the barrier to entry is is it's getting the equipment and getting the van. That's going to be your, you know, the biggest expense is setting up your business, getting the van, getting the proper equipment and all that. Um, other than that, like you said, it's the educational piece. It's knowing, it's knowing what to do and how to do it. Um, and really understanding, you know, the anatomy of an animal and all that. Um, other than that, I think the biggest thing is, is being able to market yourself and really educate people on the benefit of it and the use of it. Um, you know, there are so many uses for treadmill work, whether you're a dog that's working or a dog that does agility or, or lure or, you know, any of these other sporting, but also for the geriatric dog that just can't handle being outside um, and getting them moving to keep their, their joints lubricated and their muscles moving. Um, and then you have your rehab dogs and your rehab cases. Um, but I think you know, the, to me, there's three important factors. It's getting set up, it's marketing yourself and it's knowledge based. Mm, that makes sense. And, um, you know, of course, you know, people are like, oh yeah, you know, I had to know how to market myself. But again, this is a different, this is a different market segment. You are going to be marketing to different people and speaking to them in a different manner. It, so. it definitely, the marketing is different, I think, because you have people, you either have the interested people that are like, oh, this is cool. And they're open to different things versus the people that think that you're completely out of your mind. And they think that, you know, this is for, you know, the wealthy person with unlimited income and who are too lazy to walk their dog. And sure, there are a lot of those people that have a lot of extra income and don't walk their dog. But it just, it, it's an added, um, it, it just, it, the marketing is definitely, it, it was slower for me to get traction. Um, I had to kind of figure out what information people wanted because with pet sitting, you know, as a pet sitter, part of our job is to educate our peers or our clients with pet related information. So if it's, hurricane season, we provide information about shelters. Well, here I'm trying to educate them on walking their dog on a treadmill. So yeah. figuring out, you know, how to get into their brain and how to make it connect and how to make it kind of sound like you're not out of your mind was interesting. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, you, you sound like me trying to talk to people 27 years ago about yeah. pet sitting and dog walking because it was like yeah. you do what yeah so you're you're educating them about the entire purpose of the service correct and, and why you even exist as a business not <laughs> not just oh well let's talk about the benefits of you know massage on this part of your dog and you know how this well, can even, help even that you know doing the physical fitness things you know they're like well why why what are you talking about you're they're not going to lift weights i'm like no they use their own body weight and we do exercises to to help build muscle because 90 percent of animals core are really weak and if you have a core a weak core it trickle there's a trickle down effect oh well you know you're going to stretch my dog i'm like yeah it's just like you or a massage a dog it, it, it's just some people it just their heads explode. And then when you kind of, I don't want to say dumb it down in a negative respect, but you bring it down to a level of, yeah, you know, 
imagine if you went out this weekend with your dogs. I call them weekend warriors, the ones that do nothing all week. We take them hiking all day, Saturday and Sunday, and they are just toast the rest yeah. of the week. Those guys have lactic acid buildup. Their muscles and joints are sore. They, they hardly can get up. This is perfect for them. The weekend warriors always make me sad because they're the ones that end up getting injured the most. But mm -hmm. pet parents, a lot of them don't see the correlation. It's just like people. Everything is, it's just like people. It's just, you know, they have four legs and we have two. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge, huge curve of education there. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I can see, um, I can see why, you know, you would have a peak there in the Dallas area during the summertime. I mean, there's oh, some yeah. serious inherent benefit in like, I don't have to get outside in, I mean, what the heck has your temperature gotten up to? It's been insane. Oh, it's insane. And we're not, so what I've learned is the hottest month is August to September. Um, but I mean, last week it was 106 with a real feel of 110 yeah. and coming from Florida where, you know, it's 92 and the heat index is 98, you sweat, you feel a little bit of moisture and it's not like this brick wall hitting you. And here, I mean, your dog's paws, you see it, you walk around dog's paws there. It's, it's too hot. It's, it's, it's unbelievable how warm it is here. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, you we, think Colorado looks pretty good now, huh? You, uh, your mouth to the universe's ears. One day oh, I will be there. But yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I have this van, it's black. We tinted the windows out. We have an air conditioning. I park under the shade. I put, I mean, you should see me. I like put, you know, window barriers up and it's, is it comfortable? I get there, but it's still 100 degrees out or 110 degrees out, and it just dogs can't. You, I mean, the squirrels are out there. What are they? They're calling them squatting now, where the squirrels are like laid out on fences, like dogs, because they're so hot. Oh, so. geez. <laughs> I haven't seen. I don't think I've seen that here, but uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see it. So I learned about that. I saw a squirrel doing it here and I was like, what is that squirrel must yeah. be dead. And it was just, you know, laid out like a frog. And oh. then I saw it on the internet where animals are so hot that they're just not moving and they find a place in the shade. And you know how dogs sprawl out on the, on, yeah. the, on like animals cool are doing it. Yeah. yeah. That's helping them cool down. I want to go out there with like a brick of ice and be like, here, little friend. I know, here, you want to lay on this for a while. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> but like, you know, my guys, I if we take them out, they have to go out early morning, late afternoon. I mean, during the day, they go out for a potty in the backyard, but too, it's too dangerous. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, no. So I see you've still got several months there of... Oh. Summertime, so <laughs> just picking up, yeah. grabbing. For the one time. who wanted to leave the heat, I moved right yeah. into the heat. You did, you did. The you know a little bit. Well, I don't know. It's it's still quite humid there, but there's just something about Florida. There's always just a little more air movement. The, the it does not move here. <laughs> it's just not moving Dallas. It does not move here. So <laughs> yeah, when I, I went back about uh, two weeks ago to see everyone and visit my staff. And it was, they had 40 days of record heat where it was feeling over a hundred and everyone was like, it's so hot here. And I was like, wow, this is really nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 
<laughs> You've been drinking the Kool-Aid, right? I have. You were sucked into it. Oh my gosh. So, um, so yeah, I mean that, I, I guess just a general idea. I know you got used, used vehicle and fortunately the used vehicle market has loosened up a bit over yes. the past year, but uh, kind of give the listeners a, a general idea of um, setup costs to, you know, van, you've got your, you know, just kind of everything that goes into the basics. I know sure. your, your van is super tricked out and you've got, you know, all the bells and whistles with it and, and what you can use, but um, what's like a general, general expense? I would say a startup for it would probably be if you're getting a van new now, you can probably, well, now you could probably get them for the same cost as what I bought mine for, but yeah. I would say anywhere between 65 and 70,000 to start with the van and the proper equipment and the, the licensing and the insurances and the, you know, you have the car insurance and the workman's comp insurance, the liability insurance and all that stuff. And then just the startup of, you know, getting everything else and wrap i'll tell you the most expensive part of it is wrapping the van that is yeah what is about five gosh about five thousand five thousand it's yeah it's insane so you know you buy the van and you have everything and um i had already had one of the treadmills and i ended up selling it and upgrading it to the new one but the treadmills you know they're they're costly a good treadmill is like six thousand dollars but my wow. god the, okay the, the, this, the wrap itself, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was, I was like, can I just sticker it myself? It, it, <laughs> Doesn't somebody have a cricket I can use? <laughs> seriously, I could have cricketed myself. It would have looked horrible, but I think yeah. that was the biggest sticker shock. Cause you know, you knew the vans were, you know, vans are anywhere depending upon the Ford Transit or the Mercedes Sprinter, you're running, you know, anywhere between 50 and 70,000 for that van. Mm -hmm. But the damn wrap, I mean, you can't, and you can't not have it. Right, right. Yeah, you've got to be a moving billboard. That's yeah, you have required. to be. And yeah. The biggest, the greatest thing I ever, someone said to me was, um, and bear with me, I'm going to sound so stupid right now, but what are those things called that had, that you, the little, the little squares and you put your phone up to it and then it, oh, it takes QR you to. QR codes. Yeah, QR could, codes. Okay. I cannot, for the life of me, anything else, I cannot remember what that darn thing is called. Anyway, <laughs> the best piece of advice, someone said, put your our, your QR code on your van. And I was like, yes. that's kind of ugly. And they're like, no, no, no. So as I'm in traffic, I'll see people doing it. And I'm like, yes. So a lot of people, that that QR code has really helped. That That is awesome. Yeah, because, you know, it's a new concept. They're like, what the heck is this? Oh, I did the same yeah. thing. So, you know, you're, you're QR code educating people. Yeah, I'll, I'll see them. And I've been stopped, you know, I've been stopped a couple of times, like at a gas station and, and, um, you know, at a park, I, I coached or I was coaching my nephew's little league soccer team. So people would come over and check it out. But I don't think, I think now people are starting to recognize it and see it. I don't think I'm as crazy as maybe they once thought I was. <laughs> so, it's okay. I'm cool. I'm, I, I'll, I'll be crazy. That's good. Always be marketing. <clears throat> yeah. Always. I love it. Okay. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's a pretty significant investment. Um, yeah, you know me, I'm a numbers person. Um, mm -hmm. you know, anybody, anybody that knows me knows I'm always looking at numbers. So 
whenever you started out, did you really figure out like where your break, break even point was? Like how much you had to have come in um, to be able to find that break even point? And are you I at did. it yet? I, uh, so, you know, thankfully for me, um, I have a husband who is a numbers guy. And I say that because as we talked about in the beginning, delegate, delegate, delegate. I was never a numbers person. Um, I admit that when I started Miami, I guessed and just created a price point because other people were doing it. So I added five and I'm, you know, I, I will admit, I never, I never paid attention to my numbers. I don't know how I got lucky enough to be alive, uh, not alive <laughs> um, in business that long, but yes. so Jules helped me um, go through like, you know, before we even made, you know, decided to do this, we looked at the numbers and how many visits a week and a month do we need to pay this off? And how long is it going to take to get break even and all that other stuff that goes along with it. And I can tell you that fortunately, because I have, again, the income from my other business, I had a little bit more flexibility in the sense of, you know, um, if I'm not breaking even by six months, I'm not going to kill myself. You know, um, I, I haven't broken even yet. I think I will break even within a year and a half, which is faster than I anticipated considering I only started a year ago and business really only picked up in January. Okay. So I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm doing very well. Like I said, I, I just hired someone. Um, but I also am not pushing myself the way that I did when I started Miami, which we all know, you know, we all did. I would walk 16, 17, 18 jobs a day. Mm -hmm. I don't work like that anymore. Um, my prices are high. I'm expensive. So I go by, you know, work, you know, what is the, the phrase of, you know, uh, work hard, but work less, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. So, um, you know, I have, I have probably seven repetitive clients that I see their animals two and three times a week and they pay all of my bills. So okay. anything else after that is, is a bonus, but I have more than seven clients. So it just, it's the way that I, the price structure and my scheduling structure, I did it. Um, am I making sense? Like I, I, I no, hope because totally no, okay, it's, it's making sense to me, yes. but um, you know, there's only in, in, in the way that we, we broke it down too is with pet sitting, you know, there's an unlimited number of jobs that you can provide with staff, right? Right. You more right. Staff, yeah. You can, you can have more jobs. This right? is different. <laughs> this is different because there's only so many hours a day you can run the van mm -hmm. and there's only so many days a week you can run the van. And especially in a territory like Dallas, where people drive an hour to work or to their kids' soccer game, um, there is a distance in travel here. So, you know, I may spend, I may be in four houses in one day, but be on the road for eight hours. So there's a cost to that. So I have to, you know, I, I accrue travel fees and things like that. So it works for me. Um, but I, again, because I have another income stream, um, is it growing? Absolutely. Will it make more money? Absolutely. But the only way to do that is to be able to get more vans because there's only so many hours in a day the one van can run. Yeah. I hope it's I answered just, that question. 
it's a it's a complete difference in numbers but yes um there's there's a scalability factor but you know you you are limited by yourself and one vehicle so absolutely you know, you're, trying to, you're just trying to work out how that looks i mean really you've you've got a pretty blue ocean here it, uh, i do and it's no and it's, one else it in can, dallas does this right i'm the only one in dallas doing this right now all right so, so and that as exciting as that sounds, it's also incredibly stressful because there's only so many clients you can take on at a time. And, you know, my territory is flexible and I live in Plano, which from downtown Dallas is about a good 45 minute drive. So I had to build the list in Dallas before I would go down to Dallas because I wasn't going to go down there for one person. So um, I have a list now that I have five clients in one area in Dallas, which, yeah, I'll go down there for that because, you know, that's a couple hours of work and they all chip in a a travel fee. But it it it's it's I think the biggest um, hiccup has been trying to be everywhere at once and trying to, you know, schedule out like a groomer does. Okay, I'm in territory A on Mondays and Thursdays and territory B Wednesdays and Tuesdays and trying to figure that out and fill that, fill those holes. Um, because I am terrible at saying no. So I'm always like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll do it. I'll be there. And then afterwards Uh I realized, Ooh, that was terrible because I just spent three hours in the car. So I've, I have to kind of make some, trial by error and make some mistakes and realize that, you know, some territories are just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's really just similar to the experience of starting as a, you know, new as an entrepreneur is you want to say yes to everything and you're a starter again. It's I I mean, from bare bones place to be (laughs) because I, you know, I have that myself. I've had my pet business for 26 years now and in 2021, I decided to start consulting and educating for the industry. And it's a surreal experience to be a starter. So I know you have to feel that same thing. It's like, wow, okay, so what do I know? I don't even know what I don't even know. And I I come home and I'm like, wow, okay, that makes sense now. Or, oh, wow, that was really not a good choice. Yeah. it's exciting to be a starter again. Oh my gosh, it is. I love it, learning and yeah. it's just, it lights me up every day to get out of bed. <laughs> but you know, you remember, I'm sure someone told you at a certain point, like if you don't fear, if you don't feel fear, then it's not right for you. So, you know, you have to have a little bit of like a fire under your butt or a little mm-hmm. bit of fear. I mean, you know, I, I can remember friends of mine or family or even some of my managers saying like, you're going to just go there and start a business. You don't know anyone. I'm like, yep, I'm going to do it. And it wasn't even a question like, yeah, I'm going to walk into vets hospitals. And I'm going to say, hi, I'm new. You don't know me. Here's what I can offer you. Here's my credentials. Give me a chance. And they're going to slam the door in my face. And I'm going to do it again. And that got old after about two months of doing that. But you know what? It took one vet and then now this other vet to really take me under their wing and not that they're giving me thousands of clients, but they believed in me and they offered me a client or two. And from there, it just kind of trickled down. But um, I, I, even when I started Miami, I left the entertainment business. I had a successful ride there 
And I left because I didn't feel like I was giving back to the community. I wanted to do something with animals. I didn't have any question that I wasn't going to succeed. And I started with $5,000 in my pocket and nothing else. I was living with my mother. I had left an industry that was lucrative. I was in debt beyond repair. And it was like, this is going to work for me. So I don't know. I'm you, have some, bit. you have some built-in confidence, girl. A little bit. But, but it's funny, though, because I do and I don't. Like, I, in business, I think if, if anyone ever asked me, what's your weakest spot in business, it would be my sensitivity chip. I am the, like, I, I get so hurt and I get so sensitive over the dumbest things, but it's because I'm so passionate about it. But yeah, I never had any fear that I wasn't going to succeed. I don't know. Maybe that's good. I don't know. Did you ever take my uh, my quiz? What what type of breed are you? What type of pet business owner you are, or what type of I breed? Did, you are? I forget which one I was. I think we so, talked about it too because you were like, yeah. "Oh yeah, that fits you." Husky <laughs> uh, Shepherd, uh, a Doodle. I was or, not a Doodle or a Pit Bull. I think I was uh, a Husky. We'll have to go back and figure that out. I, yeah. look. I know I was not a doodle. Okay. Well, yeah, I think I had to change that because um, for the local um, pet parents around here in my market, I have that quiz and I put okay. doodle in that spot because uh, just how pe pet parents view doodles. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, but after having several pet business owners take the quiz, I had to change it from doodle. And I think I changed it to golden retriever because people got offended at being called doodles. See, <laughs> and I, I love I, doodles. I mean, like, geez. If it was I didn't compare myself to any breed, I think I'd be a standard poodle because they're incredibly smart. But once they know something that they don't want to do, they're not going to do it. And I think that that's kind of like me. Like I'm the type that nice. I, I can procrastinate like the best of them. And I think that's yeah. a standard poodle. I like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you are, you know, that husky personality is the one that's, you know, I mean, really um, in charge, the confidence would speak to that and, and is able to be a leader. So, um, you know, I can see all of that about you too, but now I'm totally curious. We'll have to go back and check that. Yeah, I'll, I'll just have to take it over again. Watch it, watch it as like, you know, a chihuahua or like, <laughs> you chihuahua. know. Chihuahua is not even on the list. <laughs> I love it. You know, and you speak about like your sensitivity and your your concern for the pets and making sure that that this is done right. I know you've expressed to me before of uh, the concerns of others that you see in the marketplace that are not doing it right, that are even risking the safety of the pets that they work with and certainly risking the uh mental welfare of the pets, uh, you know, behavioral issues that can come up from doing it incorrectly. I mean, you're really establishing yourself as the expert in this space for people to learn from. So I super appreciate you coming on here and sharing this wisdom with us. And I know you're going to be, you know, evolving this into educating the marketplace yourself about how to do this correctly, but share a little bit more about like what you've seen out of there and, and what, why you've decided to step into that space. So I, I really believe in this part of pet care. I think that over the years from working in 
the shelter system as a volunteer, working for the Humane Society, and now owning Miami. We have seen so many animals that have gotten themselves into trouble because they're bored, they're not exercised, they they you know they self harm, they destroy things, they defecate in the house, they bite, whether they're fearful or they're bored or whatever it is. And I, I always, when I talk about animals, especially with clients, I, I try to compare them to children because most of them understand a child's needs before their pet. And so. I really wanted to go about this in a educated, safe uh, way to be able to help animals, but not hurt them and harm them. And what I mean that isn't just physical harm, but also mental harm and behavioral harm. And I'll never say names, but there are certain companies out there um, who are videotaping themselves, putting animals on the devices, um, without watching their body language, without looking at, you know, their facial expressions, without monitoring the way that they're walking and their gait, um, or, you know, their, their prior physical ailments that could hurt them by being on the machine. And I take a, a really, I'm methodical in the way that I bring the animals in the van, you know, um, I, I treat lure them or, toy lure them in the beginning with high rewards to get them excited. And I have the owner there to be a cheerleader and to walk them through the process and to explain how the animal's body is going to look versus when they click and how that becomes more of a, uh, a, a comforting, um, you know, posture and, and they're having a good time. Um, but, you know, throwing dogs on the machines, um, wearing costumes, at Halloween in a van with the dogs on machines. Oh. Um, it, it, there are certain things that I've seen online that have really not only left a bad taste in my mouth, but a big concern that someone's going to hurt an animal very badly. And this part of the industry is going to get a bad reputation. And we've seen it in all areas, you know, the, the wags and the rovers have had their their issues with pet sitters that aren't aren't um, educated or know how to handle animals or they've lost them or they've died in their care or the grooming industry with animals falling off tables or the training industry with with um, you know non-positive reinforcement methods so this is such a new territory in the physical fitness aspect of animals that i fear that someone's going to come in with a passion for animals, but not a knowledge of animals, and that there's a propensity of having injury or, you know, something serious, like a, a small dog falls off and, and dies. So, you know, am I the expert in my field? Sure, I don't know. I just know that it's called the pack and method because it's the method of the madness that I started raising my large breed active hunting dogs and wanted to be sure that other dogs were being cared for in the same way and offered an, a different opportunity and outlet to exercise both their brain and their heart and their body. Yeah, so, I think it seems like with the educational aspect of it, you're really trying to elevate the industry. Um, I, I mean, much as I am and protect yeah. it, like a guardian. I want to protect it. 
I, you know, I feel like in the pet sitting arena, there are so many wonderful cheerleaders like yourself that have taken on your, your, your role to protect the integrity of the industry, protect the welfare of the industry, protecting the client and, and, and the, and the home and the owners, or excuse me, the homes, the owners, the pets, the, the employees that, um, it's, it's amazing because as a new pet sitter, I, I, I needed that. I needed that information and that wealth of knowledge from people with the experience that had been doing it way be before I even imagined doing it. Um, and so I want to elevate this platform of, of pet care and make sure that animals are enjoying it, but also staying safe and that people aren't just jumping into it as a resource for added income without knowledge of it, because there is a barrier of entry that's different than pet sitting, that's different than grooming, that's different than training. Each of these areas have a level of knowledge that you need to have to start to start the business. So I feel like if people really want to do it, I'll help you. I'll do it. I'll, you know, I, I'm going to offer that resource. That is incredible. You know, I'm so excited for people like you in the industry that, you know, I mean, you really are just taking it and charging forward, um, you know, you. seeing seeing these opportunities, how we can improve the lives of pets and, and ultimately their pet parents uh, through different services like this and um, and that you are now willing to bring that out to everyone else in the right way. Correct. <laughs> the right yeah. education in the and, right way. And here's the thing, there are, you know, there are a number of people starting this business out there and it should be in every city. Why not? There's plenty of dogs out there that can use this resource. I just want to see that it's done at the highest standard because at the at the end of the day, we're working with animals and and you know as a fear-free professional i want them to come in you know without any fear without any stress without any anxiety that's already you know added from being asked to do something that is not normal um so it just it, that's one of my biggest uh pet peeves in the pet care industry and it's one of my my uh goals is to just try to educate as best as possible so that we're always setting them up for success. That's every time the dog gets in the van, how can I set them up for success? And that's what I hope that other people will gain from that. That is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Of course. Um, exciting. I'm so excited for what you have coming out. So I will make sure that I drop all of that information um, about your services and everything down in the show notes for everyone. And uh, I know this is definitely an episode that people are going to be asking a lot of questions about. Well, they're welcome to contact me anytime with questions and um, just big surprise is coming up at the end of September. So just stay tuned. There it comes, right? Oh, thank yeah. you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pet Biz Hive. You can follow me at Pet Biz Hive on both Facebook and Instagram and learn more at PetBizGuru.com. What is your next best move?